Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're moving back into the world of literature, but we're somewhat moving into both worlds uh, because we're going to be talking about someone who is relevant both to philosophy and to literature. Uh, the person we're going to be talking about today is uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, he's a Russian novelist, but also very influential outside of the world of literature. Uh, so he's influential in both fields. In particular, he's influential in philosophy to the existentialists. If you study uh, a course in existential philosophy, often he will be studied along with the philosophers. Even though he did not directly write philosophy, his literary style and essays really do fall into the category of philosophy and fall into the category of being highly influential. Uh, we know, for example, that Friedrich Nietzsche actually mentions the fact that everything he needed to learn about psychology, he learned from Dostoevsky. And as we talk first about philosophy, and then we'll move into talking about his influences in literature, I want to kind of cover that and why, you know, this interest in psychology becomes uh, so essential for the existentialist. Now, in Notes from the Underground, which is where I'm going to take most of what I'm going to be talking about today, uh, we actually see a lot of this influence in a very short work, and really, you can see a lot of this from just the first several chapters of this. Uh, one of the issues that Dostoevsky kind of brings out in Notes from the Underground is he talks about the difference between the man of action and the uh, sort of highly thoughtful individual. And he this distinction really does become something that is uh, picked up by the existentialists um, and picked up by psychologists as well later on. Um, it but his idea of the man of action is that the man of action is generally someone, he says, who is not very bright. Uh, and bear with me for a moment. This is, you know, seeming insulting to people who are people of action. Uh, but what he's talking about with this is they don't overthink things. They just do them. They don't waste uh, time second-guessing, wondering if what they're doing is right. They just kind of plow into it without a whole lot of thought. Now, maybe they have thought as far as planning what they're going to do. You know, that's what I'm... I don't mean that by not a whole lot of thought. They may have, you know, highly elaborate uh, plan thought out before they go into it. But the thing that they don't have, according to Dostoevsky, is sort of this, you know, uh, self-analysis and self-awareness uh, um, uh, that, you know, they really aren't what they're plowing into being. Um, the man of thought, on the other hand, is constantly, you know, wondering if they're doing the right thing. They're wondering if, you know, they, they know that they're sort of an imposter all the time when they do things. And psychology actually has uh, a syndrome they talk about with this called the imposter syndrome. In the imposter syndrome, uh, the person looks at what their, you know, supposedly their role is, whatever that role is, whether it's husband or wife, teacher, uh, law enforcement, uh, governor, mayor, factory worker, whatever their role happens to be. Um, and they see this as uh, they're only playing it as a part. They see this as 
you know, this is not really me. I'm an imposter. I'm just pretending to be this thing when I'm not. Well, part of what Dostoevsky really is bringing out with this is the fact that, no, you're not really that. You are you are actually just playing a role. And the reason for this is none of the roles you play completely determine and explain who you are. They are all just parts of your personality. So for example, I write. I'm a writer. But writer does not completely define who I am. That's one of the roles I play, one of many. I'm also a son. I'm also a co-worker. I'm an employee. I'm a supervisor. I'm a rider of the bus. I'm a shopper. I'm a music lover. You know, there's all of these things that make up who I am. And so being able to just throw myself into a role and say, this is what I am, and this completely defines me. Uh, Dostoevsky talks about, you know, the person who is thoughtful, the person who is overly intuitive is going to realize that no you're not any of those one things you you slide in and out of those roles as necessary and so he kind of distinguishes with his character you know how other people can kind of just throw themselves into the role and be that but in order to do that they kind of have to uh shut off the questioning they have to be able to just throw themselves into it and not think too deeply about what they're doing or how they're acting. Now this can be seen in some of the ideas of Nietzsche where he talks about the will to power and the different levels of the will to power. And he actually talks about the lowest level being the barbarian, the brute, the, the one who physically imposes their will on, on the world and on others. And the reason he lists this as the lowest has something similar to do with what Dostoevsky is talking about. It's because this person is able to just naively throw themselves into this role and push through, you know, their, by strength, physical strength over those around them. Uh, there's not very much self-awareness there. There's a, this is my desire to conquer, my desire to be, you know, physically more powerful and just go for it. His levels his being Frederick Nietzsche's levels of will to power, the highest one is sort of the, uh, you know, the highly thoughtful, the philosopher, the, the man who realizes his own weaknesses, the man who is uh, seeing that he is uh, full of uh, frailties, full of weakness. And for uh, Nietzsche, the, the ultimate goal in this is to see these things uh, accept these things and then overcome these things to sort of become more. So he Nietzsche takes this uh, overly sensitive, overly introspective individual, and you know, and he kind of gives two paths that this person can go. This person can either just dwell in nihilism and say nothing is really of any value. I can't really do anything anyways. I'm just going to be, you know, stuck playing roles. There's no, uh, there's no ultimate value underneath any of this and why bother with anything. Uh, that's one of the ways that the person can go. The other way is to say, okay, all of this stuff is made up by me. 
So I can own this, I can make this up, and I can create my own values. And be aware that these are my values that I'm creating for me. And the fact that I am the one creating these values is enough in itself to give them meaning. So this idea of, you know, Dostoevsky is really influential in uh, Nietzsche. It's also influential in Sartre. If you start looking at some of the writings of Sartre, which we will later, uh, a lot of the things that he talks about is kind of the individual's, uh, the, the subjective individual thinking they're a certain way, but then when they run into the outside world, realizing that that's not quite what they are. You know, I think I've mentioned this before. There's a quote from Sartre in No Exit where he says, hell is other people. And what he means by this is as long as you're going along in your own mind, you can believe you are whatever you think you are. Um, you can see yourself as being extremely intelligent, as extremely competent, as extremely handsome or beautiful, um, almost like a god, um, because you are the one you know, thinking these thoughts and sort of creating this image of yourself. And where we run into trouble is when you hit the look of someone else. You know, they don't see you the way you are because they don't see all of you. They don't see the subject of you. They only see you as an object. You know, they themselves are subjects and they view you as an object. And so this idea where, you know, the... Uh, highly thoughtful person um, runs into trouble and and you know has has difficulty uh, struggling with their identity. You can see this play out in Sartre, and, and again, this comes from uh, a lot of the ideas of Dostoevsky and gets expanded through Nietzsche and Sartre and Heidegger and a lot of the other existentialist philosophers. Um, our self view versus the way reality is, is another thing that Dostoevsky brings up. You know, he talks about, you know, we can have all of these beliefs about ourselves, but then there are solid facts of reality that we run into. And if you think about, you know, some of the issues in, you know, contemporary, uh, the contemporary society and contemporary news right now, you know, what is one of the big issues going on? You know, can there be alternative facts? Uh, can people just lock themselves in the way they see the world and, you know, not have to take any consideration of whether this, is, you know, measures up to reality? And we have a lot of people that are trying to do that. You know, they'll bury themselves in uh, to what they want to believe and they'll completely shut off anything that, you know, any arguments, any proofs that what they believe is wrong, they try to just block that out and ignore it. One of the things that Dostoevsky talks about is, especially if you're a thoughtful person, and even if you're not a thoughtful person, you eventually run into the wall. You know, if you, you believe you can walk through walls, and that's, you know, a core belief you have that I can just pass through anything, I can pass through walls. Uh, eventually you actually hit a wall that you can't pass through. And so the real world kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, becomes an inconvenience. You know, we have, we have a lot of, in, in Dostoevsky, you have a character talking in the beginning of the, of the 
novella about how he's a spiteful man and talking about all of these things that he used to do to people because he was an administrator and how he made their life, you know, horrible and tortured them and did all of these things. And then he backtracks and says, yeah, I really wasn't like that. I don't have the ability to be like that. And if you think about it, you know, when people picture themselves in situations, when you see something on the news, when you uh, hear a story, you always say, well, if I had been there, I would have done it this way. Uh, this is what Dostoevsky is bringing out. And this is something that is a big issue with the existentialists, is that you can create this view of how you think you are. You can think that you have this solid um, identity that you know, but a lot of times when that, you know, idea of yourself, an idea of what you would do meets reality, you don't always do what you think you would do. Um, when you have this idea of, you know, everyone has an idea of themselves as they're a good person. Well, if your idea of yourself as a good person um, is true completely, then why are there other people who do not like you, who think you're a bad person? And so, you know, one of the things in Dostoevsky that gets picked up by the existentialists is this idea of, you know, we create these illusions about ourselves. We, we you know, want to talk tough or we want to pretend we're smarter than we are or, you know, uh, more talented than we are. But at some point you hit reality and you realize that's not you. Now for Dostoevsky and for the existentialist, this really becomes something that is a struggle. It becomes something that is an issue because what can be more uh, of a core, what can be more essential to the individual than their image of self, than their sense of self. And when this is on very shaky foundations, um, you know, you start to wonder, how do I deal with this? And you come up with strategies to deal with this. And the existentialist like Sartre and others, you know, come up with, you know, talking about these and how people deal with them and how some people, uh, as Sartre would say, kind of drift into bad faith. Uh, they just make assumptions about themselves, even if those assumptions turn out to be not true. You know, they, they try to say, well, I'm just a writer or I'm just a, you know, a husband or I'm just a, a, a wife or I'm just whatever they think they are. They it, Sartre calls this a form of bad faith. It's where you shut off anything, any input that is contrary to that and you kind of shrink yourself down to fit that role because it's more comfortable to fit that role. When you fit that role, there are lots of expectations, there are lots of rules, there are lots of guidelines of what you should do in every situation. And if you're just running along the lines, you're not really free. You've, you've kind of given up your freedom. Your, your freedom is basically what you've chosen is the freedom to obey, um, which is still a type of freedom. This is where Sartre says, you know, you're, you're uh, damned to be free no matter what you do. If you follow orders, you're free. If you do what you, whatever you want, you're free. Uh, and you can't escape that hell. And deep down, you know that, and it causes you anxiety. And again, all of this goes back to ideas that Dostoevsky starts bringing out. You know, where does, where does, how do we deal with this? How do we navigate the world uh, and, and understand things about the outside world 
when the thing we know or think we know the best ourselves is not really as known as we think it is. Now, in the world of literature, I'm going to kind of shift gears and talk about why Dostoevsky is important in literature. If you remember when we talked about realism and naturalism, uh, there started to be a desire to have literature that is more realistic, literature that, um, you know, gives a more accurate portrayal of way, the way life actually is, um, because people wanted to be able to one, get a better understanding of the world they live in, but two, be able to see themselves in these stories. You know, yes, we do have fantasy literature. Yes, we do have unrealistic literature um, in in the mainstream, but a lot of the more uh, uh, heavy literatures and even a lot of the mainstream literature really is driven by people being able to see themselves in those places, people being able to see themselves in those positions. You know, if you think about even novels by, you know, horror writers like Stephen King, he often starts in a place where, you know, this is normal everyday life. And then as, you know, the story progresses, all of a the sudden there's a break. And, you know, something supernatural or something you know, sinister from the human psychology of one of the characters sort of comes out and disrupts that normal place. But his stories almost always start in a normal place. This is normal, everyday life, and then, wow, this thing happens and now we're pulled out of it. So this starting with realism and then moving into the fantastic is what allows you to connect to the story. If you were to start in a world that were that was completely made up to the point where you had no points of reference, uh, no way of connecting things you know to what's in the story, you would never be able to connect to that story. For one, it would be nonsense. You, you would have no way of even visualizing anything because nothing connected to something you'd ever experienced. It would be something that would be completely incomprehensible. So you have to start with reality and then move into it. Now where Dostoevsky plays into all of this is his realism. Yes, he has realism in his stories and describing the way people actually live and dress and eat and things like that, like a lot of the other realists and naturalists do. But his realism moves inside. It moves more into the realm of psychology, of how people actually think. And at the time he's writing, psychology is starting to become, you know, a, a science. It's, it's starting to be something that people are investigating more. You know, they're wondering, well, why do we do these things? What lies underneath it? And so you have a movement not only to see what's happening in the external world the way it really is, but people start to be curious about why do I feel the way I feel? You know, why do I think about things the way I think about things? Why can't I just, you know, go through the motions and just be happy? I, you know, follow the formula. Boom, I'm happy. You know, why is it that there are obstacles? Why is it that, you know, things don't move in a straightforward line? And a lot of what you see in Dostoevsky and his psychological realism, you really start to see pick up in modernism and postmodernism. Now, we've talked about uh, William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury in the past. Uh, Faulkner's characters in 
many, many of his novels are highly influenced by Dostoevsky because when you are reading Dostoevsky and when you are reading Faulkner and, and more contemporary writers like Faulkner, a lot of times you're not getting a lot of external action. You know, when you read Faulkner novels or short stories, yes, there is some external action going on, but the biggest bulk of what's happening is you're getting into, into the minds of these people. You know, and these are very different types of psychologies. You know, Faulkner doesn't have one uh, psychological template that every single character falls into. You know, every character kind of represents different types of people like you would actually meet in real life. And this desire for the psychologically real in literature really does start to take hold from Dostoevsky and from his writings. And it gives us another layer of connection to the individual. It gives us another layer of connection to the story. You know, if you read a story, uh, you know, think, think about your own experiences reading. If you're reading a story and you can't psychologically connect to any of the characters in the story, you have a really hard time being engaged um, I've taught novels where the main characters are not necessarily likable people. Uh, one example of this is the novel Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid. The main character, Annie, is not an extremely likable person, and a lot of people have trouble getting into the story because of that. But I have to, you know, once I kind of explain to the class, when I taught it in class, okay, You've got to think about who she is and what she is. You know, the character is, one, someone who is not at home in her own society. She's, she's an outcast. But two, the character is also a teenager. You know, and I try to remind them, you know, think about yourself when you were a teenager. You weren't the most pleasant person. You weren't always doing the things you were supposed to. You weren't always putting the needs of others as important. In fact, you know, the teenage years, psychologically, you're, you're determining your own identity. You're, you're rebelling against what you were taught. You're rebelling against your parents. And you're trying on different identities to see what suits you. And this also tends to be a very selfish stage where people don't they're so wrapped up in trying to figure out their own identity, they don't realize they're often hurting other people. Years later, when people become adults, they often look back at some of the things they did as teenagers and say, wow, I was a horrible person back then. I can't believe I did these terrible things to other people. I was mean to people. I picked on people. You know, I ignored people that, you know, and then later on you find out, you know, this person suffered because of being picked on or suffered because of being ignored. And, you know, you kind of have, why did I do that? And and I try to explain this as, you know, we're, we're talking about that story that, you know, this is that psychological realism that Jamaica Kincaid is going for, that, you know, William Faulkner is going for. Uh, and, and it, you know, once you can make that connection psychologically, uh, then you become even more immersed in the story. You start to be able to empathize even more and see the world even more through their eyes. Well, these levels of psychological realism, again, go back to Dostoevsky. He's one of the first writers to really be, you know, 
focusing on the psychology of the character and trying to make it a realistic psychology, which is, you know, amazing because when you look at what some of these people did, because they're writing about characters today when we read these characters, you know, we have different psychological, you know, uh, uh, diagnosis that we could put to that character type or one imposter syndrome you know imposter syndrome wasn't anything that Dostoevsky would have ever heard of because it didn't in, exist in as as an idea in psychology until well into the 20th century late into the 20th century but yet here we have Dostoevsky in Notes from the Underground giving us a character who's talking about imposter syndrome you know this is this is one of the things that writers and philosophers have often been in tune with that other people may not directly recognize, but it's still there. You know, people had depression long before depression was ever diagnosed as an actual thing. Um, they wouldn't have had the name depression necessarily to call it, but they would have known they, you know, felt sad and there was not always a, a reason why they felt sad. They would just feel sad for no reason. Um, things like autism, you know, we know what autism is because now we have a diagnosis for autism. This doesn't mean people just suddenly started becoming autistic, you know, in the late 20th, early 21st century. Autism has existed for probably as long as humans. Um, we just classified it as something else. You know, as when I talked about the sound and the fury, the character Benji, if he were written today, probably would have been... Uh, written as a severely nonverbal autistic person uh, because he shows those traits. So a lot of what you get in the influence of Dostoevsky is almost like a natural psychologist, a psychologist who doesn't necessarily have the official diagnosis that we have today, but they see and recognize the traits. They see and recognize the emotional states. And this ability to do this that Dostoevsky has and puts out in his writing is very influential with the literary writers that come along. Now, as you can tell, this one writer straddles two fields. And the better the writer or the better the philosopher, you're going to find that this is true a lot of the time. You know, we have a habit in contemporary world of saying, well, I study philosophy, so I'm just going to read philosophers, or I study literature, I'm just going to read literary writers, or I study history, I'm just going to read historical accounts. And people who are really good in their field, the people that are at the tops of the field, have, whether it's a... Uh, a knowledge that this is what they're doing or whether they're doing this instinctually, they are connecting the dots between these different fields. You know, part of the reason I majored in two different things, philosophy and literature, and also had a lot of history classes and did a lot of historical study on my own was that I recognized pretty early on that studying any one of these fields in isolation gave you a really uh, slanted view of that field. It gave you a very unrealistic view of that field. And occasionally you will come across writers and thinkers like Dostoevsky who, you know, 
become highly influential in lots of different fields. Influential in psychology, influential in philosophy, influential in the world of literature, um, because he kind of looks at the bigger picture. He didn't, you know, just see himself as, I write stories. Or he didn't see himself as, I'm looking at the world from a philosophical perspective or from a historical perspective he saw how all of these things kind of folded into each other and he put this out in his writing okay i'm gonna break off this episode uh here um i hope all of you are doing well i hope all of you are staying safe uh in the next episode we're gonna move right back towards philosophy, and we're going to be talking about the phenomenologists and what are some of the ideas of Edmund Husserl. Uh, phenomenology is, uh, when, from the last uh, lecture, we talked about it a little bit, phenomenology is highly influential in existentialism, but it also has some connections to analytic philosophy. So we're going to talk about the phenomenologists, in particular Edmund Husserl, uh, in the next episode. All right. I hope all of you are doing well and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good day.